When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. I'm Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Always good to be with you and the listeners and just talk about stuff. I'm telling you right yeah. now, things are changing by the moment out there as far as world events go and the economy. It is November already, Jeff. Where is the time gone? I mean, it was just the other day we were talking about Easter and summer coming, and now we've got the holidays around the corner. You know, we've been talking about the Santa rally, whether or not we're going to have that. Some people think that we're poised for a rally here towards the end of the year, but nevertheless, there's a lot to talk about on today's show, not the least of which is the debt crisis. We've talked about this before, that the country is in a debt situation of about $32 trillion plus, and that debt clock continues to tick. Jeff, I don't know about you, but I think that other than cutting spending, we're on the hook for paying down this debt with new taxes. What's your opinion on that? And how should we prepare for that inevitable? That's the way I see it. And I think that's the way the politicians see it. You know, they go to school to learn how to win elections, not to learn how to run economies and deal with finances. And this new world order, I guess, idea that modern monetary theory is you can crank up the debt all you want and you're not going to go out of business and everything's going to be hunky-dory fine because, you know, Japan's been doing it for about 30 years now. We've been doing it for 10 or 15 now, you know, ever since the Obama administration and that crash in 08, it just was, oh, let's print money and see what that does. Oh, by golly, it makes the market go up. Oh, the market's having a little uh, uh, hiccup. Let's uh, just throw some more money at it. Oh, well, there's COVID. People can't go to work. Let's just throw money out there and uh, make the market go up, at least make it seem like things are hunky-dory fine. But, uh, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. There's that separation of classes, which I think the government regime and their hidden agenda really wants because they'd rather be kings and have a bunch of peasants and serfs and have the working noble class feeding them all the tax money that they can. And eventually there's going to be those that make money and those that uh, take money from those that make money in the form of uh, taxes and redistribution of wealth. Those people are always going to vote the government in for giving them the handouts that they need to survive. And uh, the people that work are probably going to get in a position where those taxes will go up. Yeah, that, yeah, I see that happening. And I don't see there being a lot that you know we can do about it in order to keep uh, America going the way we want it to go other than continue to print money. But I don't see how that doesn't end up blowing up. We've seen uh, even in world history, Roman Empire and other uh, hugely successful economies uh, in history over thousands of years that ended because they got uh, into less work and more government and more taxes and basically draining the people of every bit of assets or resources it had until there just was no more and they just couldn't sustain themselves. I think my son does a lot more than I do. My son Taylor, um, you know, he has these podcasts. He listens to you know, the history of the Roman Empire all the time. And he says, Dad, he says, you can't believe how similar we are to the greatness that we've created and how we're on the exact same road to destruction. You know, a lot of that just becomes, um, you know, big government taking from the working class people, making it so a bunch of them can't work and need to be dependent on the government and it gives them more power. But then all of a sudden that power, you know, can't be sustained because there's not enough money to take. 
I think eventually the government, because they're government, and like I said, not economists, generally speaking, not business people, generally speaking, don't know how to do math other than, oh, well, we want to spend more, so let's just take more. Well, if you take more, then there's not enough going into the economy to create more economy, to create more taxes so that they can spend more. So they actually are counterproductive in the way they uh, typically think. You know, unfortunately, it's both parties. I mean, Donald Trump was the last guy we had that actually ran a business and realized that lowering taxes would make the economy better, and it did. You know, Bidenomics is, oh, we're taking uh, money out. Look at what we're doing. We're taking money out of the economy, and somehow it's getting better. I said, I, I cannot understand how in the heck that argument even holds water and how he even has the audacity to say it, let alone how there's actually people that believe it. Oh, well, uh, income's up 3%. Yeah, average wages up 3%. Yeah, well, since he took office, inflation's up 25 or 30 if you count everything in real dollars. People are getting squeezed out of, you know, lifestyle. They can't afford rents. They can't afford to buy houses. They can't afford high interest. They can't afford all the negative consequences of this frivolous uh, government spending and quantitative easing and printing money in this modern monetary theory that other countries are using. So I think it's part of the big plan to have this great uh, reset, probably go to some sort of a digital currency, revalue everything. And I see it progressing to that way, unfortunately. But I do believe that there's no way that they can find their way out of the hole that they've dug, especially as they raise interest rates and create more pressure on the real economy, producers of products, consumers of goods. That's everybody other than the government who just takes money, spends it on whatever they want. It's just an unsustainable model. So quickest and easiest fix is raise taxes. It's just simple math. I mean, simple math says you've got to. Well, that's about the most extensive math that Congress, I think, can do is simple math. As many economists as they hire, they don't listen to them anyway. They just want to get votes. They want to get reelected. So they try to make it look like everything's good. Yeah, I don't know how long they can uh, kick the can down the road by printing money, but uh, they've already reversed that trend. I think there might become a, a time when the Fed realizes that they've kind of overshot. Maybe in a couple more rate hikes from now, they'll realize, you know, they could have probably slowed down a little bit earlier and, you know, let us kind of ease into the next phase. But the fact is, is stock market market valuations are still overpriced. The excess earnings uh, that more or less ran out in September, there's still a lot of that still residing with rich people who still have the wherewithal to invest, buy stocks and, uh, you know, buy expensive houses and still, you know, cons uh, buy consumer goods, which is buoying up the economy to a certain degree. But for the typical middle-class person, it's getting tougher and tougher. And it's going to be even tougher down the road when they raise taxes. And I don't think they're going to raise taxes on just the rich. I think they're going to give the rich a pass like they always do in order to get their campaign contributions you know, give their little uh, quid pro quo. Hey, we'll give you some tax breaks, but just remember to you know help us get reelected. And, you know, well, everybody's going to have to pay taxes either in a form of extra on goods and services, on just uh, increased prices. That's really a tax just by what government might do to corporations. They might act like it's not a tax to the middle class, but it'll, it'll trickle down to the main, the middle class consumer, and it's going to create more of a, a drag on the economy. So, you know, we've seen this throughout history. We've seen cycles. We're in a market cycle. We're actually still in a bear cycle. If you think of it, we're in a bear market cycle. We had a bear market rally, which was, you know, the first half of this year. And now we've been really soft for the last three months. And it looks like uh, more and more pressure to go down. More and more companies are coming in with negative or uh, disappointing earnings. Even NVIDIA, the darling of the Fab Five this year, is looking at losing all kinds of sales due to regulations and things like that and having to cancel orders that they think they already made and already counted as orders and revenues and, you know, booked as, you know, all this future profit that drove the stock up. And they're going to lose billions of dollars in sales from, uh, you know, these dealings with China and some of the regulations that we're doing with uh, technology going back and forth and I don't know, the chip wars and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, Apple's been down consistently. Uh, Microsoft came in disappointing. I think, you know, some companies are showing some profits, but it's 
largely because they laid off a bunch of people. Um, our economy is in kind of a, a hiccup mode. I mean, there is not just a correction. I think a more than a soft landing, there's going to be a sell-off and we're going to complete this cycle. This bear market cycle will complete just like we had 2000, 2008. We're due for another one. And when things get back to regular value, we'll have that big reset. But what are we going to do in the meantime? The government's just going to be printing money still, or they're going to be taken out of the economy, or they're going to take it out of the economy until they have to print money and cause the problem again. It's just going to be a vicious cycle. And then they're going to say, you know what, we can't do this without raising taxes. So I think down the road, maybe not this year, next year, or a few years from now, in most of our lifetimes, definitely through if you're you know getting ready for retirement or retired already, I'll bet it's going to happen and it will affect your retirement. Taxes are going to be a big deal. There's all kinds of things that they can grab, especially if you have a lot of savings. And uh, yes, I do believe taxes are going up. And I believe tax planning is probably the order of the day more than trying to stock pick right now when three quarters of the stocks are going down and getting downgraded and only you know 10 to 15% are getting upgraded and the others are neutral. So there's really low opportunities to make money in the stock market based on even the experts as far as who you know find stock trends there's really just a, a handful of uh, investments that are worth buying right now in this particular economy rather than trying to worry about portfolio management not worrying about your taxes because you're making so much money you can afford them i don't think we're going to make enough money to afford the taxes we need to be more concentrating on not losing money and if we can uh, control our taxes and plan for our taxes then we won't get hit by the tax bombs that's going to be coming down the road i just don't see that there's a way to avoid it Jeff, the end of World War II, tax rates were around 91%. That was the top rate, and that held until 1963. And 1964, 77%. I mean, 65 through 81, they were 70. And then 82 through 86, the top tax rate was 50%. Do you think we're headed towards tax rates that high again? And if so, what can we do today to prepare for these higher tax rates? Paying taxes now at current rates, if uh, there's a way to pay taxes now and not pay tax in the future, I think it's just a smart move. Um, you know, we do that through Roth conversions and LERPs. I mean, if all your retirement money is coming from taxable sources, you're going to get hit with a tax increase. If it's all pension money, if it's all annuity money, if it's all IRA money, all tax deferred money, deferred comp money, you know, that's that's income that can be tracked as income and it will be a tax and probably at a higher and higher rate. I don't think we'll get to that 90% rate. I don't think we ever, ever would need to again. That was back, I think, when Ronald Reagan was making movies. I believe it was in the 60s. Right. Um, he, he only made two movies a year because the 90% tax bracket started at uh, $200,000 and he was getting $100,000 a movie. So I was like, why would I even do that to give 96% of my money away to the government? Right. You know, between, you know, federal and state taxes. He says it's not even worth working. So, you know, back then that was a lot of money. The average income was $8,000 or something like that back then. But 200000 seems like a lot of money. Uh, now, a couple million dollars is kind of the, maybe two, three, four million dollars is kind of the equivalent uh, in nowadays. Would we want to pay 90% tax on everything we make over a couple million dollars. The government doesn't want that because there's a lot of people that do make more than that. If they uh, give them a disincentive to work and create economy, I think we've learned our lesson from exorbitantly high tax rates. You know, I wouldn't doubt if they're going to be 50% in the next decade. I wouldn't doubt if the bottom tax bracket that's maybe 15 goes to 18 or the 20 goes to 25, etc. I think there's, uh, if you just slide the scale up or reduce the amount of deductions that you get or make certain incomes or certain tax deductions that, you know, used to be positive thing uh, more of a negative thing, then we'll get taxed in a, a number of different ways. It could be just that our charitable contributions are no longer um, tax deductible. So instead of giving it to the charities and letting them create social benefits, the government will take that money and try to create social benefits. But of course, we know 99% of that's wasted on stupid stuff. And maybe 1% gets to some cause that we agree with. And then they just take more. But they're in such a position of power. Once we elect them, they change the rules to benefit them. I mean, they can't lose they get all the benefits that they need. They get all the money they want to spend. They get to, to pay their cronies and kickbacks to everybody who helped them. And it's kind of a 
an interesting world, but you know, the older I get, the more I see it and the more I realize it's kind of a corrupt system, but it just is what it is. There are certain things we can't control, certain things we can. And one of the things we can is look at the tax code, change our future income streams to tax advantage income streams. I really don't think there's going to be a lot changing to the tax code from the standpoint of Roth IRAs being tax-free. I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to change the tax code from LERPS life insurance type products because it's a tax-free death benefit. People need that to live on as income replacement. It's just makes sense. It's always been that way. Uh, There's been a few minor changes back in the 80s. There hasn't been since then, but You know, life insurance from a standpoint of tax-free income planning is used by rich people all day long. It's called the rich man's Roth for a reason. So we use the same tax-saving techniques that uh, rich people use. There are some. We can start a hedge fund and call it investments and do some shenanigans and weird stuff that some of these super billionaires uh, do to get tax breaks. Or we can be a real estate mogul and get so many write-offs with uh, real estate depreciation. We can kind of offset that. But most people in retirement aren't rich enough to have billions of dollars in real estate or run hedge funds. So what do we do? We do the easy stuff, the stuff that we can create an income stream we can live on, that we can afford the taxes on. Maybe, you know, half your income you pay taxes on, the other half is stealth and never shows up on your tax return. If that's the case, you go into this situation where if they raise taxes on half your money and they're not raising taxes on the other half, then that tax bracket increase or the tax rate increase only affects you half as much as it does the other people or half as much as it would if you'd have left all your money at taxable. Again, the the more we can do to make future income tax-free or basically stealth, not even show up on your tax uh, taxable income as even provisional income, the better off you'll be. But you have to do it now. You can't, uh, I don't know, you might not be able to do it after the fact. I mean, if they do have changes that affect these rules, Roth IRAs, tax-free income structures, uh, strategies, and so forth. Typically, they're always grandfathered in. I mean, I've never seen a situation with these things that, you know, didn't have a grandfather clause. If it was already done under a tax code when you did it, they're not going to undo it and say, oh, sorry, we lied. We're taking that away. It's just like, okay, from now on, you can't do X. You know, just like uh, people that are taking uh, lifetime withdrawals from inherited IRAs over a lifetime based on their parents or grandfathers or uncles age are still doing it. If it happened before they changed the rule to a 10-year payout, the 10-year payout only affects new IRAs that are inherited. You know, the tax code typically grandfathers all the old stuff in. I would imagine it will continue to do so. I can't see a situation where it wouldn't. Not wrong that often, but I could be. Bottom line is plan when you can. Don't be in reactionary mode after the changes and then go, oh, I should have done this or let's see if we can fix it now and then find out you can't. Planning is forward looking. It's not reactionary. It's preventative maintenance, right? It's preventative medicine. It's uh, not finding the, the cure for the problem. It's finding the prevention of the problem. That's really the approach we want to take. I've always heard that the tax tail shouldn't wag the dog, Jeff, but I think in this situation with the sort of debt we're in, taxes certainly can only go one way and that's going to be up. So in this case, I think the tax tail can wag the dog. You're listening to Jeff Ogan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, if you have questions about our program or comments or you want to get in and talk to Jeff about your individual tax situation, we invite you to call 520-780-9059 and request your Premier Retirement Roadmap. Again, it's 520-780-9059. Shelly will take a little bit of information from you and then set you up with a conversation with Jeff to create a path towards a successful retirement. By the way, a retirement that could last 20, 30 years or more. Once again, no cost. There is no obligation for this casual conversation with Jeff. 520-780-9059. You can also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, uh, every week we talk about a case of the week. What was your case of the week this past week? 
Well, you know, this is kind of a common thing where people come in about five years in advance of retirement, five to seven years, which is really a good time, actually, and say, okay, well, my target is a million dollars for retirement, you know, a little bit short. I've got about 600000 I can save about fifty or 60000 and, you know, I might be able to get to that million, um, you know, as long as the market keeps growing at 10 or 12%, and a dollar cost average in, and the 600 I have is going to keep growing. Well, what if it doesn't? What are you going to do for income? Well, I like to take a look at the future picture and say, okay, you're making $180,000 a year now you want to live on a hundred because right now you're living on a hundred um, after you pay taxes insurance social security and all the other stuff that comes off of that and then you have you know 50 or 60 left over what do you do with that do you just continue to buy stocks and let them uh, go sideways you know if you look at uh, things like the Schiller ratio or just history of market valuations where they are right now you look at the Warren Buffett indicator you look at all the indicators that uh, say there's recession coming ahead all the indicators that project the next decade of returns especially the Schiller cape ratio if you want to look that up. Schiller Cape Ratio basically projects the future average annualized rate of return for the S&P 500 based on what the valuations are today. Now, they've only been higher or as high as they are today, roughly at the uh, 29 crash of the big uh, black money crash in 1929. They also were a little higher when there was no earnings on anything back in the dot-com era. And uh, now they're up over 30 bucks a share uh, or 30 bucks price earnings ratio again. Uh, given that, the future looks like about a zero or a flat rate of return for the next decade, which means probably a couple of corrections. Well, that goes in line with what Warren Buffett has said, what uh, Jack Bogle, who died a few years ago, before he died, he said, expect about two corrections of 50% or better over the next decade. Just, you know, buy the S&P 500 and buy and hold and ride it out. Well, that's fine if you don't need the money, but if you're retiring, it's a whole different story. So if the next decade's going to be kind of flattened up and down, and you've only got five years to retirement, got 600,000 that might go up and down, you're still going to probably only have 600,000 on that. And if you can save 50,000 a year for five years, you're up to 750. Well, you're going to be a little short on, on that. Now, let's say, why did you want to get to a million. Well, it's because your broker said you need a 4% rule. And, you know, between Social Security for you and your wife, it's going to be about $50,000 between you. You don't have a pension. Everything else is just 401k and savings. You know, how do you get to that $100,000 a year spendable income that you're used to living on, that you want to continue to live on, and maybe even have a little extra? Well, here's the alternative plan we did. We took 500000 of the 600000 put it in an index annuity that's guaranteed not to pay a 4% rule. It's guaranteed to grow for income at a rate of at least 8%. The company has a, a good enough track record to feel confident they're going to make at least 8% till you're at least 100 and not run out of money in that account. And even if they do, they've got a buffer, they've got reserves, they've got extra cash that they can pay you an income. And in this case, in year six, five years of deferral, this person's 60 years old, wife's the same age. In five years, they'll be able to guarantee a joint lifetime income of $44,000 with a $500,000 investment. That's eight and a half percent rate of return on your money on your original uh, investment, which is way higher than what the 4% or the 5% rule would be for a safe rate of return, given the volatility in the market. And that's, you know, only if the market behaves and doesn't have too many crashes too close together, or that you don't hit a crash right out of the gate when you need some of your money to buy your uh, cabin or fix uh, up your house or do whatever you're going to do to kind of kick off retirement. So for 500000 we did that. We put the other $100,000 in a liquid account that we can, you know, still kind of be smart about managing. Instead of going into the stock market where there's risk, the other 50000 or so that actually have about 60000 that they could save is going to go into a LERP, the Life Insurance Retirement Plan. So if they put $300,000 into a LERP over the next five years, 
that's going to generate approximately uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand in income for the rest of their life. You know, that's close to what another eight uh, percent or so. If you're looking at you know rates of return, and by the way, that's tax-free income, so they're going to have forty-four thousand dollars from IRA money that's taxable. They're going to have a little bit extra. They're going to convert the Roth as soon as they retire. They'll convert the hundred thousand that we left in uh, managed money to a Roth. They're going to get six to eight thousand dollars a year tax-free on that. They're going to about twenty thousand a year uh, from the LERP. That's twenty-six thousand dollars tax-free between Social Security and the IRA money, we know that their taxable income is going to be right around fifty to $60,000, which is kind of in the low range or the mid-range of the 15% tax bracket with some buffer. So we know that now they're going to be able to spend somewhere between $100,000 and $110,000 a year with really relatively no risk. You don't have to uh, base it on the stock market. You know, what it was going to be is, well, we could probably take 40000 if we hit the million, but what if we only hit seven hundred fifty or 800000 because of volatility and softness in the market? That's about 30 or 35% taxable income. So now they're up to about 88000 total income minus 10000 in taxes. You know, what are you, are you going to live on seventy-five thousand, or do you want to live on a hundred? So this plan basically showed them how to have expected, in some cases guaranteed, but very predictable returns, not just of return on income based on the uh, the savings that they've done over the years, but also tax savings and knowing what your tax bracket is going to be. I just have a real hard time believing that somebody making what looks like fifty or sixty thousand dollars spendable when it's really a hundred plus um, is going to have pay higher taxes or have some of their social security withheld for surcharges or things like some maybe they'll do to rich people or people that they perceive are rich. You know, I think maybe anybody who's retired making over 100000 might be a bigger target than somebody who's retired making fifty or sixty. at least in the eyes of the government who wants to at least make sure that those people out there have a subsistence uh, living at some level. If you look at it, the graduated escalation of tax rates is really a, it's a graduating scale on taxes. I think that's going to be the same way if you're retired as well. So the more you can take off the table, not count as income, the better. And if you could do it on a predictable level where you have no losses on your principal, you have gains on the indexes on those years when the indexes make money, but no losses, you're absolutely positive you will have a higher than zero rate of return in 10 years unless there's 10 years of zeros and that's never happened. You know, historically that can't happen, but historically it can happen where you have a couple of market crashes where the market goes down 50%, takes five years to come back, goes down 50% again, takes another five to seven to come back. And you make zero in a decade, like we did from 2000 to 2010. So if that's a possibility, and the Schiller ratio in history says that it could definitely be a possibility, I don't plan on probabilities, but I look at history and say, okay, what's the highest probability of uh, future returns? And if ratios that are proven over the last 50 to 100 years and have really been spot on or really close to it, uh, say one thing, you've got to kind of base your decisions on those things that are fairly predictable, but then plan for what if they're not? Well, if the market goes up even more, well, great. Indexes will go up more too, but you still have no risk. If indexes really do horrible, wouldn't it be nice to at least have what you started with at the end of 10 years when everybody else is down 20, 30, 50, 40, uh, whatever percent down in the stock market because they've been doing the Wall Street method of retirement planning, which you know, if you look at long-term rate of return, okay, fine. But if you're spending money, long-term rates of return don't matter. It's the volatility that matters and it matters how many years are down, matters how long the market's down, which is going to determine how soon you run out of money. My job is to help you not run out of money. So we do long-term plans. We use predictable income streams. We cut taxes and we change what is a, I hope we can be there in five years plan to a, hey, this looks like a guaranteed plan where I know I can make a living and I don't have to worry about handing in my pink slip in five years because I know no matter what happens between now and then, I'm going to be okay. That's the plan that we do. If you're just joining us, this is Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. We've just finished discussing Jeff's case of the week. 
If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Jeff Logan, Premier Retirement. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards retirement. And again, if you'd like your no-cost, no-obligation financial retirement roadmap with Jeff, you can get it by calling 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059, or online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30-plus years? Stay tuned for more Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan after this. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management right here in Tucson and also up in Mesa where Jordan is manning the fort up there. Same number for both Jeff and Jordan, 520-780-9059 or online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. In this section, of course, we answer listeners' questions and we'll start it off, Jeff, with Ellen, who's listening to us in Green Valley. And Ellen writes, when I go to the doctor, they always ask if I have a living will and a health care directive. What are are those and where do I get them? Do I need an attorney? Also, I've heard of a POD at the bank and a TOD for property. When do I need those? By the way, I really enjoy the show. Thanks. Well, thank you, Ellen, for that compliment. Uh, those are fairly straightforward questions. The hospital asks if you have a power of attorney typically for healthcare, healthcare directive, and the uh, living will, meaning if you're brain dead and you know they can't get you out of a persistent vegetative state, do you want to be unplugged or just left to uh, your own... Uh, body's ability to somehow stay awake on a machine or stay alive on a machine. Those are typically done, like we do will packages and trust packages for people that need estate planning. Where I'm a certified estate planner. We uh, help people do those things. And uh, we do use doc preparers and attorneys to uh, actually draft the documents. But I understand uh, estate planning enough to tell you what those are. Powers of attorney, just if you're incapacitated, unable to make your own health care decisions, is there somebody that the doctor can ask what you would want from the standpoint, um, you know, medication, surgery, you know, whatever, whatever kind of treatment plan would be more appropriate based on your values and wishes. And hopefully it's somebody that it's close enough to you that knows what those are, or you've had a discussion with them. Maybe it's a child, a sister, brother, husband. The um, living will is basically, hey, when to pull the plug if you, you know, are out of options. What do you do at that particular point? You know, if you have guardianship over somebody like a child, you can just do that. If you don't, if you're an adult and you need somebody else who's also an adult that you've given that authority to as an agent for you on your behalf. So those are those two documents. You know, you can get those. Sometimes there's like uh, forms online. If you don't have them, and the reason the hospital asks you for them is they'll give you a form to have you list on a generic, you know, power of attorney for them is who do you want us to call if there's a problem? And you basically do that there. If however you arrive in an ambulance because you're, uh, unconscious, how do you do that? You should have those in advance. You should have, you know, powers of attorney and those things drafted up, not just for healthcare stuff, but also for financial matters. You know, what if somebody needs to keep your bills played so you can stay in the house or get the care you need while you recover from an accident or a, you know, an illness or something. It's good to have an estate planning portfolio uh, package of documents. Uh, you may wish to have a trust. If you're looking at POD and TOD, uh, pay on death or transfer on death works the same way. Uh, it's just a designation or a, just an election to not have your asset go through probate, but to have the bank or even a house in Arizona. Arizona, you can put a beneficiary deed together, which is like a POD. It's called actually called a beneficiary deed where you can list who owns your house when you die. It doesn't have to go through probate that way. So if you want to make it easy on your heirs, I would have beneficiaries listed on every asset you own. 
PODs, TODs, beneficiaries on, uh, you know, life insurance products is a beneficiary, um, IRAs, annuities, houses, beneficiaries, bank accounts, and brokerage accounts typically is a TOD or a POD. The TOD or POD um, should be done, obviously, while you're coherent enough to do it. You can't do a POD if you're already incapacitated. Obviously, if you die, you can't go back in time and be alive and do it. If that's something that you want to do, I would recommend that you go down to the bank and say, I want to ch- you know, put a POD on my bank account. That way it goes to who you want. Mm-hmm. Every bank knows what that means, and they'll put it on your account. Now, sometimes a POD, for some reason, banks treat it as like a trust account or a business account. They might actually change the account number when you do that. If they're going to do that, that's a, uh, sometimes a pain in the rear if you have a hundred things coming and going out of your bank account automatically. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you do change it to a POD and they do change the bank account, you'll have to kind of reestablish those auto drafts or auto deposits uh, from Social Security and other things that you might have going in and out of there. So keep that in mind, but that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is just to get a trust, a living trust, and just have the trust own everything with your designations listed in the trust. And in that case, you know, your trustee, whoever you uh, deem is trustworthy and can be in charge of your stuff and distribute it the way you want, you can put it in a, a trust and let that person become the trustee when you're no longer able to be the trustee, either through incapacity or through death. So again, a lot of ways to skin the cat, uh, depending on what's easier for you or who the, uh, who the beneficiaries are, how well you trust your heirs to do it themselves. Or if you need an outside third party or a, you know, a coach to look over the quarterback's shoulder, make sure that they're playing the game right and run the right plays, you know, when you, when you pass away, that kind of thing. So a, a lot of things could come off of that question, but I think I answered directly what you did ask, kind of went a little bit uh, further down the road, but there might be some additional things you want to consider as you put your powers of attorney and your uh, PODs and stuff together. It might be simpler just to do a will package or a trust package and have all those documents uh, prepared for you. Sometimes attorneys that do those packages, they typically charge more than we do. It's not a complimentary service, but it's a value add that we offer here. We have uh, professionals that can uh, draft those documents for you. If you want to come and have a consultation here, we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Ellen, thank you so much for listening to us. And Green Valley will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. Next question, Jeff, is James in Dove Mountain, and he writes, My wife started collecting Social Security at age 65, but it's a very tiny amount. I'm planning on retiring in two years at 65. 67 is my full retirement age. Can my wife collect spousal benefits of 50% of my full retirement benefits once I retire? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, if your wife's got a small amount because she didn't work very long. Now, if your wife's got a small amount because she has a government pension offset or a something like that, then that actually will roll to that 50% as well. If she started taking Social Security at age 65, that was a possibly, if that was just a couple of years ago, I'm guessing that uh, it's possible that uh, her full retirement age is somewhere between 66 and 67. So uh, whatever deduction based on the months that she took early, let's say she has an 8% uh, reduction in her full retirement benefit, she'll also get an 8% reduction on the 50% of your full retirement benefit. You know, let's say you're going to get 2000 and hers is $300 right now, and it would have been 400 Or let's just say it's 400 and it would have been 500 You know, when yours is 2000 now hers is going to go up to 1000 Well, if she's getting 400 because it got reduced by, I'm doing this for example purposes, it wouldn't be that much, but then she would get the 800 the same percentage or the same ratio of that 50% of your 2000 if in two years, whether, you know, your full retirement age. So in two years, your full, you know, 67 is your full retirement age, so... There you go. You've got, um, let's see, in two years, your full retirement age wouldn't be, if you're going to be 67 in two years, your full retirement age is actually prior to 67 uh, because you would be born prior to 1960, if my math is correct. So you might want to rethink that. But yeah, bottom line is full retirement age, she will get her full retirement amount adjusted for how early she took hers. 
James, thanks for that question about Social Security. Of course, we'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Next question, Jeff, is Bill listening to us in Sabino Canyon. And Bill says, I read so much information online and watch Jim Cramer on TV about which stocks to buy and when. Sometimes the information is contradictory. What should I believe and how do I make these buying decisions on my own? Or should I just throw up my hands and leave it to the pros? Well, most TV is entertainment or propaganda or basically um, spilling a bunch of uh, uh, spewing all kinds of information to you to make bad, really bad decisions. I mean, the, the TV is governed by uh, the bigger money, which is Wall Street money. Jim Cramer is an entertainer. That's all. If you count all of his recommendations when he makes them and what the performance is, just doesn't just doesn't stack up to like the Motley Fool and other people that actually analyze stocks and you know charge money for their services. Uh, Jim Cramer, if he's any good at it, would have a newsletter and be making recommendations that actually work and making a killing doing that. Instead, he's a great entertainer. He gets enthusiastic. Keep, keep in mind, that's entertainment. I mean, if you want to do some analytics, you're going to have to buy the information to actually get ahead of the uh, information that's real. There was always a statement when I was a, a stockbroker back in the day when I sat in the office, dialed for dollars and you know sold stock and was a puppet on the strings of my Wall Street uh, broker. I listened to them until after a few years, I realized they were doing exactly the opposite themselves is what they told me to do for my clients. I figured, okay, this is kind of a rigged system. What do we do? Well, we've got to get the information before that. So there was a saying back then, it was like, buy the rumor, sell the news. I mean, if there's a rumor, something might happen. It's probably because there's some information out there that it might be coming. So buy when the rumor, if it's in the rumor stage, and that's what smart money's already doing. And that's why, you know, things might trend up. You go like, man, that company's not making any money. Why is the stock going up? And then you find out at earnings time, oh, they exceeded earnings by 30%. And they didn't even downgrade their earnings. My gosh, they just had this boom year because, I don't know, maybe did a bunch of stock buybacks stock or played some shenanigan games or whatever, but they had some uh, earnings. Well, that's when the dumb money finds out, oh my gosh, they had tons of earnings. Let's go buy the stock. Well, guess what? The smart money already bought it and they're the ones selling it to you. Buy the rumor, sell the um, news. Uh, mostly Jim Cramer is kind of the news guy. So if he's telling you to buy something, the time was already passed. If he's telling you to sell something, you probably should have already done it. He's in a position where he can't really be uh, spewing out insider information. And that doesn't necessarily mean insider as illegal all the time. There is inside as an inside Wall Street information that's not illegal. There is information that's public. It's just hard to get at, you know, and it doesn't always just hit the news immediately. So there are people that are in the know sooner than you and me. But I do subscribe to, uh, you know, help and have partners that do get that information first that can help me make my trades on time. So I get that information, you know, it does affect the kind of trading that we do. But yeah, if you're trying to trade based on something you watch on TV, that's going to end up being a loser's game more often than not. That's been in my experience over the last 30 years. Uh, either do your own research, get an advisor that does some research, get, uh, you know, utilize some hedge fund managers that pay millions of dollars for information that you can't afford. So you pay a fee so that you can get that uh, knowledge base and to know when to be out of the market, when to be on the sidelines, when to be back in. You know, our managers were getting out between, uh, you know, back in about May and June. You know, we took the first exit out and we're out of the market in May. Are we glad we did? Well, looking back, yeah. I mean, the market's down lower than where it was when we got out. Well, it's been up a little higher than that for a while earlier this year. It went way down further at the end of last year. But in the meantime, we've been making 5% sitting on the sidelines waiting for this cycle to correct and complete. So that's not listening to Kramer. That's just looking at the odds and the fact that you know, three quarters of stocks are getting downgraded every day compared to any stock that might get upgraded. And some of these upgrade stocks are kind of anomaly stocks that kind of only do well in, you know, troubling times and or they've got some new product or they're in energy or some of these sectors that are actually uh, holding their own right now. So again, yeah, don't don't be listening to the entertainers on TV. They are not stock pickers. They are not advisors. You do not pay them 
anything. In fact, advertisers pay them to do a show that'll get you to suck, uh, you know, be sucked into watching, think you're getting great advice. So you watch their commercials. I mean, it's just a big commercial enterprise. It's entertainment. It's TV. It's all about money. It's not about you making money. That's right. Follow the money. I always say, Bill, thanks a lot for that question. And thank you for listening to us in Sabino Canyon. We'll send you out Jeff Spoke Retirement the road ahead. If you got a question for us that you'd like us to answer on the air, you can send it to us at primret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. There's a contact form there. Again, if we use your question, we'll send you out Jeff Spoke Retirement the road ahead. And in the meantime, too, you're listening to Premier Retirement. If you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff and talk about your individual situation, we're offering this retirement roadmap at no cost and no obligation whatsoever. To get yours, 520-780-9059. I encourage you to call it today, 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation for this, no judgment. You can also request your plan online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, let's talk a little bit about doing financial plans for people. I have heard that there are one-time financial plans and then there are plans that you actually change as time goes by. Is there a place for a one-time financial plan? When is that useful? And what is this variable plan that I've just described? Well, I think that you have to have a combination of both. You you need a plan that gets you past like just the next few years. So many people just say, well, we're portfolio managers. You know, look at the last 10 years, what we did. We think we can do that next 10 years. Well, not true. 10 years ago, the price earnings ratio was 17. And history shows that when the prices are fairly valued, you have rate of return in the stock market in excess of 10. Guess what we did? Uh, when the price earnings ratio is uh, over 25 or 30, like it is right now, you have usually a future, you know, 10 years of zero. I talked about that earlier in the show. So, you know, if you're just trying to do a portfolio management for a year to two at a time, and it's just uh, trying to guess the rates of return or using the last few years to predict the future few years, that's a loser's game. I mean, the plan is, like I talked about earlier, somebody came in and said, well, you know, I, I, I'm in the stock market. I could keep in the stock market. It hopefully will be this. And if it is, if I get to that million, I'll be able to take this much out, my broker says, if uh, without, you know, too much uh, worry or risk about uh, running out of money, as long as I don't live more than 25 years into retirement. You know, that means you have to die before you're 90. You may or may not. Uh, It also means you're living on 4% of your uh, total assets because you have to account for volatility rather than, uh, you know, guaranteed income stream. So there's the portions of your plan that can be one time, meaning that let's draft this plan out and give an assumed rate of return that's lower than average, that's lower in history, that you know is lower than the 30-year average, takes into account uh, a decade of zero, and it takes into account you know decades of 10 plus. You know, over time, we can get where you want to be with or without good times every year. You know, we know there's going to be bad times. There's going to be you know during a few decades in retirement, you're going to have some bad years and even you know bad strings of years. Right now, we've had kind of some weird years since 2020, since COVID hit. Actually, 2018, there was a, a nice little market sell-off that uh, gave a lot of people hiccups and took a little while to, to rebound from. And then 2020, you know, government shut the economy down by making everybody go home. And then they, you know, poured money into the economy, which went into the stock market, made that go up because nobody had anywhere else to spend it. You know, now all that excess earnings is out. Now we have this flat market. The thing is, is you need a one-time plan to account for all these things that are going to happen because we know they're going to happen in the next few decades. Then what we need to do is tweak it, have your annual reviews, make sure that, uh, you know, we say we see where we're at and we see that if we do have a few flat years, we can see on a spreadsheet that we look forward and say, well, as long as we, you know, return in the future to that average 5% rate of return, even though we know the stock market average is about 10, the bond market average is you know, somewhere between two and six. And, you know, as long as we don't have the majority of our money uh, in those markets that go down in value, we have principal protection that we can use as income while we wait for those other markets, bond market or stock market to get healthy again, if they're in a weak state 
our plan will work. And so after that, it's just a matter of, uh, it's not necessarily being a variable plan. It's just, okay, you know, do we have enough uh, room in here to bob and weave if the markets don't perform every year on an exact rate of return? And so that's why we look at it every year. Okay, what's this last few years done to us? Has it made us uh, be a little bit more um, concerned about our future income in 20 years? If it is, then maybe we need to rebudget. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of inflationary pressures on people's income. So, you know, when we build an income plan and we say you can live on 120 and that's kind of maxing it out, well, you probably should live on 100. So when things like this happen, you know, you have room to adjust or room to uh, not spend as much. If we say, you know, you can live on 200, you only spend an 80, and, well, then don't worry about it. You've got an extra trip or two you can do. You can help your kids out, whatever. That initial income plan gives you kind of an idea or a basis from which to judge or base your income budget, spending habits, and, you know, fun, so to speak, that you'll have during retirement. It also, with, you know, regular reviews, it'll show you if you're on track or if you need to make adjustments along the way. So it will vary. Might mean that you have to slow down and not spend so much. Some people say, you know what, I don't really care what I have when I'm 80. I just want to spend as much as I want, golf every day, travel every weekend and whatever. And I'm going to spend twice as much now as I'm going to spend in the future. Let's just front end load the plan. If that's what your values are, then just realize that if the market's flat this year, you're going to be spending down principal and hopefully the, the rest will last. Well, if you've got guaranteed income that will pay all your bills when you're done playing, then okay, that's fine. Again, everybody's situation is different. Everybody's goals are different. Everybody's income is different. Everybody's assets are different. Everybody has different thresholds of pain or risk or the amount that they can adjust from their current lifestyle or from their desired lifestyle. So that's kind of where we need to get on the same page. And that's why we have several visits before anybody becomes a client here. We have several visits getting to know each other. So I know your plan. So you know how the plan is going to work. You know what the options are. And you also know predictable income tax uh, plan and other things to where all your retirement needs are, are covered. So yes, it's both. It's a one-time long-term plan, but it adjusts and kind of bobs and weaves along the way based on current conditions at any given time. Or if some emergency comes up, hopefully we've got a plan for that. We always want to hope for the best, but we plan for the worst too. So, you know, when those things happen, we adjust the plan accordingly. So one-time financial plan, I think, is just really just a snapshot of where you are today. But an ongoing financial plan is more dynamic. I mean, your personal financial life, it's constantly changing. And so is the overall market and the economy, and you've got to change with that. So my vote is for the ongoing financial plan. How does longevity play into this picture, Jeff? You get a one-time financial plan, you think you're going to live this long, but then you live to be that long, and then things, you know, go awry and you're in danger of running out of money. Well, we, you know, we always want to plan longer than, uh, than you live. I mean, if you want to really try to dial it in down to the penny, then yeah, you might be a little bit disappointed in the end. I mean, it is your money. You know, we say keep it that way, but we want to make sure that you understand the risks. You know, as we watch the plan, like I said, is we, if we build this uh, dynamic plan that, uh, you know, changes and bobs and weaves with reality every year, because we've done this one-time plan today where you're at, and we project it out into the future with some guarantees, predictable incomes, use the tax code that we know will exist, and then buffer it with what if the taxes go up, do I still have enough room in here to live my lifestyle? And then, uh, you know, as we go down the road, I mean, I have uh, clients that we've had these plans running for 20 plus years, and we're still monitoring them and making sure that they aren't running out of money. Grateful that interest rates are going up again, because that's going to help the remainder of that money last a little longer if they've been spending down. 
you know, by and large, most people's assets, you know, might get a little bit depleted in the beginning while they're having a little bit more fun. And then they seem to grow during the slow go years. And then the no go years, you know, you want that uh, buffer to grow a little bit just in case there's some um, expensive care issues or health issues uh, near the end that might cost a little extra money. And you want to, you know, deal with your life in a comfortable setting and be able to afford those resources or have the resources to afford the care that you want uh, in a comfortable setting. So it's dynamic. It moves and bobs and weaves. We we make the plans and we always project out as, okay, how, how much longer is my, my money going to live? We don't want to get to that point. And that's why we want to have regular um, adjustments and regular meetings about it. Constant vigilance on the plan is required in order to have the peace of mind that you want through decades. And if you don't, you just come in after 20 years and say, well, gee, Jeff, I'm out of money. What do I do now? It's too late to plan for that. And that's why, again, we see what the future looks like. And we always want to make sure that the money's not going to run out by age 100 or whatever, uh, just in case you you live that long. So I think we build a lot of buffer into our plans. We want to, we would rather you miss by being conservative than uh, overshoot and say, oh, darn it, we came up short. Sorry, you're out of money. Uh, been nice knowing you. Good luck. I uh, hope you enjoy living with your kids. You know, that's not a conversation I ever want to have, no. right? That's, that's, that's not my job to have that conversation. Unfortunately, you know, in the brokerage world, it's like, well, man, sorry, the market didn't work out. Gosh, that sucks. Well, you know, if you could have just hung in there and, you know, not spent that money, it would have worked out. But, you know, wish it would have, should have, could have. I mean, the stock market is brutal and it doesn't seem like people that are risking your money really care about your money or they wouldn't be risking your money. They'd be doing what I do. They get out of the market and protect your money because that's what your calling is as a retirement planner, in my opinion, not as a, oh, yay, they're finally retired. They have more money than they ever had. And my fees go up to the most they've ever been. And gee, as long as they stick with me, I keep getting my fees and whatever. Uh, ho- hope they don't run out. And uh, let's, let's hope the market doesn't bite them in the butt. But it's not their problem. It's your money. It's your problem. So again, make sure that the decision you make is uh, the right one for you, not for your broker. The broker typically in that industry, and I've been there, you know, they're told to basically watch out for what's good for the uh, business and the, the company you work for. They don't treat the word client or fiduciary with any respect, in my opinion. That's why I left that rigmarole. That's why I left that racket. That's why I left the circus that tied to Wall Street. It's really nothing I can control and nothing I can really feel like I serve clients with. So being on my own for the last, uh, let's see, it's been 30 years now, has been a a blessing, not just uh, to me, but I believe the, the clients that we serve. Jeff, you mentioned in this past conversation here about running plans to 100. Do you typically run plans that long? I mean, really, who's going to live to be 100? Well, according to stats that I've read recently, about 10% of the people that reach age 65 and are still breathing are going to make 100. Uh, 40% are going to make 90. Somewhere around uh, 20% supposedly is going to be like 94. You know, these are actuarial numbers that have been published. You know, I don't have a source right now or I'd give it to you. But, uh, you know, these are things that I've read over the last few years and things that we presented in some of our classes at, uh, you know, the college classes and seminars that we do. Yeah, I I think if you've got a 10% chance of reaching 100 just because you're breathing at age 65, now, of course, you can adjust that based on, you know, the longevity of your family, the genetic, you know, anomalies that might exist in your family may cut that a little bit short. I mean, that's true. You know, it's just a a matter of, uh, you know, how long are you going to live? If you're pretty healthy, though, I want to go out to 100. So you'll see, what if I live that long? Am I going to be okay? Yeah, if there's that much buffer and then you get into your 80s and think, man, I've only got five or 10 years left, you're going to have plenty of assets to deal with whatever, you know, comes your way. So, that's why I just have a template that goes to age 100. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'll dial it back if, you know, there's not enough room on the spreadsheet or the client doesn't want that many pages on their plan. But, uh, you know, I'd like to put, you know, a good 30 years on the on the plan so we see into the future a few decades and make sure that we're going to be okay based on our plan. Now, that doesn't guarantee we're going to be okay. There's a lot of things that we can guarantee and a lot that we can't. 
but we like to make predictable income streams, predictable taxes based on what we know. You know, that's that's how we deal with that. If you're just joining us, this is Premier Retirement with Jeff Volgan. And remember, this show is also a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. All you got to do is search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Volgan. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I'm going to thank you for your time. But most importantly, thank you for listening to us. For Jeff Ogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning, and wealth management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.